0: Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of restaurantowner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Running a restaurant involves making a lot of tough decisions, but choosing Touch Bistro's POS isn't one of them. Our sponsor, Touch Bistro, offers an all-in-one POS and restaurant management system that's easy to use, easy to manage, and easy to afford. Find out why thousands of restaurants trust Touch Bistro to help them simplify operations, increase sales, and deliver a great guest experience. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. Well, welcome everyone to another Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli.
1: And I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Start and Growth Magazine and RestaurantUnder.com.
2: And today we're going to talk to a most interesting independent restaurant operator, Alex Cantor, who's better known to most of you listeners as the guy behind NextBite. So we're going to be talking a lot about virtual brands, how we see technology and virtual brands impacting positively uh, the future of independent restaurants. Alex, hello and welcome to Corner Booth.
3: Hey guys, thanks for having me and uh, good to be back in the mix here.
2: Excellent. Alex, if anybody's
1: been following the trade media and the restaurant business, gotten a lot of press, a lot of people know about you, but you know, we're going to let you tell the story uh, here from your perspective. But you know, Chris and I like to um, introduce our, our listeners to people behind the brands and you know you're a young guy but you come from a a pretty serious background in the restaurant business your last name is Cantor uh, synonymous with iconic deli in in California and I'd like you to tell us about that but also you know some of the things you learned growing up in that family must have guided your philosophies on the restaurant business you want to talk about that a bit
3: absolutely well first of all Backing all the way up here, um, I'm Alex Cantor, fourth generation of, of Cantor's Deli in Los Angeles, one of the oldest and largest restaurants in the, the city of LA. Just like my father and my grandfather who spent their entire lives working in the family business, I grew up working at all the different positions at a very young age, was waiting tables at 12 years old. If, you, if you're unfamiliar with Cantor's, Cantor's is... a uh, this historic Jewish deli. It's 24-7. It's one of the most popular destinations for celebrities, tourists, regulars. It's like just this place that's stuck in time The decor is like the 1950s. It's very, uh, you know, you walk in, you feel like you're in a time machine. And uh, one of the challenges of, of growing up in that family business is that, you know, it's an old school business. It's people don't want to see it change, but one of my roles was to bring it into the next generation and to uh, to help us reach that that next next consumer wherever they are. And for me and my generation, that was being able to enable Canters to reach customers outside of our four walls. That meant signing up for delivery apps and then catering and meant figuring out all these ways to to reach customers in new ways. And I heard a lot growing up, you know if it's not broken, don't fix it lots of old school uh ways of doing things like we were you know late to the game with with even having a POS system or taking credit cards really basic things that uh that restaurants were adopting we were kind of late to the party with but we we really had a chance to continue innovating and uh and prepare Cantors for the next 90 years and beyond and that was a lot of fun to grow up in that environment learned a ton Um, leveraging Cantor's as as almost like a playground for innovation. I would run around to restaurant conferences every year, like a kid in a candy store, signing up for everything that you can imagine um, from Groupon to the new orange juice machines that were (laughs) squeezing juice to, you know, all all sorts of technology to innovate with marketing. And um, I became really passionate about Adopting technology and really adapting the business for the next generation. So that was kind of my my upbringing in the uh, in the restaurant world. I, I became very passionate about helping not only my family's business adapt for the next generation, but helping many more restaurants across the country do the same. So in 2017, um, founded originally what was called OrderMark, which was a technology platform to help restaurants manage their whole off premise business allowing them to plug into these amazing new revenue streams like Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub all through a single device in their kitchen. Later scaled that business to work with thousands of mom and pop businesses across the US and and found an even even more critical opportunity to drive incremental orders into these underutilized kitchens everywhere, which eventually became NextBite. And now we've rebranded. Uh, the whole company as of the end of last year to be called NextBite. it's been a really really wild ride to get to this point so it's you know it feels like we're just getting started in so many ways like we're really uncovering products and services and tools and technology to help restaurants innovate and reach customers outside of their four walls it's really you know been a devastating time for restaurants in general these last two years have, have proven our resilience as, as restaurant operators to get to have gotten to this point, you've had to go through hell, like really have had to gone through hell and gone through constant change and, you know, adapting the business for uh, an off premise world, whether you liked it or not. So, you know, luckily the the timing of all of this, we were really able to help restaurants keep their doors open over the last two years, keep their staff employed. And uh, that's what keeps our team going.
2: Fantastic. Fantastic. So maybe we can start at the beginning. How, how did you see the need um, for the independent operator? How did you see them handling things like takeout, pickup, third-party delivery, uh, the curbside pickup? Beginning and so that you could see how uh, how you would assess what they were doing, strengths, weaknesses, and then how you were able to, you know, plug in uh, your program to help it work.
3: Yeah. So. You know, back when we back when we started this business uh, in the early days of of the online ordering explosion, we saw a lot of restaurants struggling to embrace delivery and to to um, not view these. A lot of restaurants viewed these third-party delivery apps as like a necessary evil or you know the enemy, <laughs> like taking yes. these huge hefty fees and you know, I think the, the biggest challenge was just, it felt like the online ordering companies didn't spend a lot of time in restaurants to understand the complexity of the the kitchen operations and the fulfillment and the nuance of of packaging food for takeout versus, um, it, you know, serving restaurants within their restaurant and intertwining those two things. So, you know, in the early days of, of online ordering exploding back in 2015, 2016, um, it, it really was, a restaurant signing up for for these different platforms and having a wall of tablets and technology to manage all of these incoming orders at cantors we had nine tablets two laptops and a fax machine specifically (laughs) and of course the staff hated me because i was the one who brought in all of this hardware and new technology that meant 14 different menus to manage um, different reporting uh, cadences um, and and writing down these these orders that were coming onto these digital screens manually by hand on pieces of paper running back to the kitchen to go um, tell them to start making the food and and really messing up a lot of orders. we were at canner's we were messing up orders left and right sending the wrong uh, food out to the wrong delivery driver delivery drivers showing up to pick up food that we hadn't even started making yet. it was just it was just chaos. We called the area of, of the the deli where this was happening, we called it the war zone, because it was so intense. Um, so oftentimes there was um, drivers screaming at our employees, employees screaming at the drivers, vice versa, just not, not a good experience for anybody involved. And we wanted to really, you know, uh, talking to lots of restaurants in our neighborhood, they were all experiencing the same challenges here. I came across many restaurants that just said, it's not even worth it to be on all these different services because it's just too much for our kitchen to handle. Our staff can't manage it. And so, you know, we wanted to take a step back and reimagine the whole online ordering experience from scratch um, and really thought about, you know, in a perfect world, how would we want this to flow into our kitchen? How can we redesign this from scratch thinking about, you know, standardized tickets, printing out right on the kitchen yes. line, having that piece of paper to staple to the bag going out the door. And um, and that was really where we, we started. We started building our MVP, um, you know, pr- printer, tablet, all-inclusive consolidation solution behind the deli counter of the restaurant, really in a real high stress test environment. And as soon as we started talking to other restaurants, I think the first, you know 10 restaurants that I talked to 8 of them probably signed up saying you know we need this so badly this is so relevant for us and um and and we immediately found that product market fit at a very early stage because we were solving a real relevant new problem that wasn't really a problem you know 2 years before that or 5 years before that it was a very new Challenge and the, the rate at which the online ordering volume was growing was substantial at this time as well. For many restaurants, it started out as you know one to five percent of their overall business, and then it very quickly became 10 and 15, 20. And uh, and today we have many restaurants on our platform where um the, the online ordering volume through these third-party platforms has has surpassed the in-store volume. And that that's especially relevant after COVID because, you know, for for a a while there, when all the dining rooms were closed, that was the only way to order from restaurants. So our technology went from being, you know, the supplemental orders that were happening through third-party delivery to the only way that consumers can connect to restaurants at a certain point, which was not something we were set up for, really designed for, but it, it became... The lifeline for for these businesses when all of their volume was happening on DoorDash, Grubhub, UberEats, etc. Um, so that was you know that was really a, a change for us to have just a small percentage of, of the orders coming through our system to having all basically being the restaurant's operating system for their entirety of their business.
2: You know, Barry, we've heard that, haven't we? The, the, the independents were just kind of caught. We've heard. Of those issues constantly, of the area being a war zone, unorganized operations, and uh, extremely difficult implementation. So, so your your story from war zone to victory is is uh, you know obviously well heard here.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you. And and um, as as both of you probably understand, there's still a lot of independents who are are wary of third party. Um, and the operational aspects you were talking about, I really want to dive into that with you, Alex, but in terms of the issues related to, for example, control of the guest experience, you know, you hand off, uh, an order to a driver, um, and then the profitability, which I guess the third party delivery, um, providers are, are trying to address that with tiered pricing and so forth. But let's, if we can step outside the operations part of it and talk about the marketing, uh, guest experience, um, uh, you know, tell us, tell us, uh, you know, what you're thinking along those lines, and and how you're trying to maybe solve those problems.
3: Yeah, so, you know, I, I think there's still a, a resistance happening. I, I know a lot of restaurants had to embrace it, whether they liked it or not. But um, no matter what, restaurants should have a direct ordering channel on their website, outside of the third party platforms. There's lots of great companies out there that provide those services from. Chow Now to Lunchbox, to you know, if you're a, a larger restaurant group, Olo, um, there, there are many um, options out there to have a way to capture people who want to order from you directly, where you don't have to give up as large of a percentage. But the way that restaurants should really think about delivery um, through third-party marketplaces is that these are, these are customer acquisition channels. These are essentially um, in lieu of restaurants having to have a marketing budget, which you know many mom and pop businesses don't have digital marketing teams and don't know how to target um you know people who live within three miles delivery radius of of their location so if you can embrace it and lean into it and figure instead of resisting the the 30 or 25 or whatever these apps are charging um learn how to learn how to make your your menu work for that environment maybe it means taking off certain items that are higher food costs. Maybe it means inflating the prices on your delivery menu on these different apps to make up for that difference. Even if it's increasing prices by 10%, at least you're sharing some of that that, that incremental cost um, by allowing the consumer to pay for it. And consumers are willing to pay for it. I think for a while, there was this hesitation of like, we don't want to charge customers more, but they're willing to pay more for convenience, for delivery, to order it to their homes, their offices, wherever they are. So I, I think if you if you embrace it and think about it as as a customer acquisition channel, um, you can you're, you're really putting your restaurant in front of the eyeballs of men, millions of hungry people who are opening these apps frequently. And if you're a restaurant and you don't exist. You're not listed on DoorDash. You don't exist to all the people who use DoorDash. It's that simple, and that's that rings true for each one of these platforms. If you're not on even some of the smaller apps like Delivery.com or EatStreet or you know all all of these um, platforms that may only bring an order a day or a couple orders a week, that's still a couple extra orders that you can take in once everything's all inclusive in one uh, you know one manageable solution in your kitchen. And then, from a flexibility standpoint, the way that we've designed um, our, our system, you know, is really um, keeping busy restaurants in, in mind. There are times where a large party might walk in, or you might have a big catering order to fill. So, on the order mark tablet that we provide to these restaurants, um, somebody can very easily walk over and pause service across all their different platforms for an hour. You know, the rest, of the, the rest of the night if they're really that busy or turn off one platform or make menu changes from a click of a button, like 86 an item across many services at once. So we really built this flexibility into the infrastructure of, of our system. And I think that's what's really allowed us to, to, to give, um, to, to, to be able to really um, make delivery less disruptive for, for these restaurants that we're working with.
1: You know, conceptually, um, the idea of putting to work extra capacity in the restaurant, bringing in the virtual brands, I mean, it's it's uh, it's very easy to embrace just on that concept alone. The question I have for you for, you know, in terms of true independent restaurants, um, which the operational effectiveness and efficiency can vary greatly. you know, let's say I'm independent restaurant. I say, you know, gee, I would like, I would like to get on board with this. I would like the extra revenue. I would like to um, uh, use this extra capacity. I've got to believe there's a bit of vetting you have to do and a bit of training. It's not like going into a Chick-fil-A where they've got a big operations manual and they have all these systems that have been put into place Um, for the mom and pop, as we, we call it, um, you know, What's I'll call it the onboarding process to 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 be involved with what you're doing?
3: Yeah, so so let let's let's talk a bit about the the virtual restaurant side here. So, mm-hmm. a, as we were scaling and and partnering with thousands of restaurants, you know one one thing that pretty much every restaurant has in common is that um, every kitchen is at some point underutilized. There are certain times of the day that are slow or certain days of the week that are slower than others. And restaurants have fixed costs. The the rent is fixed, the lights are already on, the staff is already in the kitchen, whether you're doing one brand online through all these channels or multiple brands online through these channels. So in 20, around 2019, we brought to market this new concept of virtual restaurants. Um, And instead of, you know, the traditional ghost kitchen route, which is essentially um, a kitchen that is specifically designed for a delivery-only experience, we we were partnering with all these restaurants and realized that 90% of them have the ability to make more food. So instead of, you know, helping restaurants find new locations, we were like, what if we just created these turnkey menus that we cre- that we basically create for these restaurants and tell them, carry these ingredients, make the food this way, and you can turn on a second menu out of your existing kitchen, only available on delivery. So it won't even be you know, something that um, the, people who, the people who order on Uber Eats won't even know that it's coming from your kitchen. Only the drivers will who are coming to pick it up from your kitchen with a different sticker on the bag. And uh, we experimented with this really out of Cantor's in 2018 as a test and creating a, a grilled cheese brand and a burger brand. Um, we were able to add $250,000 of incremental gross sales to the Kitchen of Cantors without adding any labor, without staying open later. Um, so, so really just taking what was already there and layering an extra 5, 10, 20 orders a day on top of the business through these new menus, through these new brands. And, um, and that's exactly what NextBite is now. So NextBite is a is a portfolio of turnkey delivery-only restaurant brands that we have specifically designed to operate out of the back of existing restaurants. So we we went back to our, our network of restaurants that we already provided technology to and said, can your kitchen handle an extra 5, 10, 20 orders a day? If so, we've got a great chicken sandwich brand or a great grilled cheese concept that we can teach you how to turn on, and, and you can, we can light up your kitchen with extra orders every single day. Um, and, and we're paying restaurants to make this food for us. So we're paying them, you know, oftentimes um, like fifty for, for mom and pop businesses. We're paying fifty five percent of the gross sales to these restaurants to make food that costs them roughly two dollars and or twenty five percent food costs on. So on a ten dollar burger. We're paying the restaurant five dollars and fifty cents, and it costs them two dollars and fifty cents to make this burger. Which means that every single burger that we can add into in, into this uh, into the into the underutilized kitchen, we're basically giving restaurants a way to make a thirty percent profit margin on every incremental order. That's a substantial amount of profit for a restaurant. Um, As most, you know, as you guys know, most restaurants are operating between five to 10% margins if you're lucky. Um, Canners for many years has operated at, you know, benchmark of trying to hit 3% margin. And we we often struggle to hit that. So when we're able to layer these extra orders on top of these kitchens that has upwards of a 30% profit margin, that is the most meaningful thing that we can be doing for restaurants at this time. That's why we've decided to, to really focus on this new side of the business, which is um, you know, th- these new virtual restaurants that we're creating. And, and we've successfully been able to um, layer these, these new menus on top of these, these uh, underutilized restaurant kitchens in a way that is non-disrupted to their operations because of that underlying technology that we have to, to, to bring it all together into a single device and make it manageable. Um, so that's really the strategy uh, of what we're what we're trying to do as a business. And, and, you know, especially in light of COVID, there were all of these kitchens that had so much extra capacity than ever before. Um, so so these extra orders sometimes were the difference of, of keeping restaurants doors open or not. And um, and that's that's really been why we've we've focused on this new side of the org and, and, and kind of the whole strategy there.
1: Can you walk us through the process of, you know, uh, independent operator uh, contacts NextBite and says, gee, I, I want to get involved in this. What is, what are the steps? What are the process? What type of uh, support and services are they going to get? Is there, can you kind of briefly walk us through that?
3: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we basically have um a whole process for for helping onboard restaurants to these new brands of course we have to first vet to make sure that they have the right equipment in their kitchen um, for, for some of these these menus that we've created by the way our, our our 20 brands that we've we've built and are partnering with restaurants to turn on these are very simple menus in general they're kind of like food truck style menus where it's like their grilled cheese society for example is their grilled cheese brand um, it's it's basically a handful of grilled cheese sandwiches with different fillings inside, um, which is very low food cost, very easy to make, doesn't take a lot of time to prepare. And so we're basically going to restaurants saying, do you have a fryer? Do you have a flat top? Can you handle 10 extra orders a day? <laughs> and uh, if the answer is yes, and they're in, a, in an area that would, you know, that we have lots of data to know what would perform well and, all of this stuff we we basically you know match our brand with this underutilized kitchen teach them you know carry these ingredients from whoever your food supplier is make the make the food to these specs and put this sticker on the bag and you can start turning on these extra orders out of your uh, out of your kitchen so so that's that's really the process and we handle all the marketing we upload the menu to, to all the different DSPs DoorDash Uber Eats Um, postmates and we're responsible for driving that demand so we're managing the marketing um, we're, we're creating the consumer awareness of this concept we're targeting people who live within three miles delivery radius of each of our fulfillment partner locations to you know spread the word that there's this new exciting grilled cheese concept that's now available in your neighborhood and all the kitchen has to do is really put their heads down and do what they do best which is crank out food put it up for a driver to come pick it up. And it's that simple.
2: And they're allowed to use their existing, well, I mean, obviously not only are they allowed, you have to vet them to make sure that they have uh, existing kitchen room, smallwares, the required uh, equipment um, and uh, they are allowed to use their own packaging. You're providing them different stickers to stick on it to promote the correct brand. Is that what I'm hearing?
3: yeah so each brand has their own guidelines that, that need to be followed so you know some of our brands are very strict like you have to have exactly this kind of um, hamburger bun and you know carrying these very specific ingredients and then some of our other brands are like as long as you have cheddar cheese that's good enough <laughs> it doesn't need to be you know a very specific brand of cheddar cheese so you know sometimes it's leveraging some of the existing crossover skews that are already within that restaurant Right. And um, and for some of our brands, they just have to carry a few incremental skews on top of that.
2: I think many of the listeners are are probably you know perking up about now and 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 making some notes on how they feel they could manage. Um, another brand out of their back door for pickup and delivery only. You want to give them a little overview of the variety of brands. Uh, You mentioned earlier that there's 20 right now, you know, maybe we don't have to talk about every single one of them, but it'd be nice if the listeners saw what kind of variety is available. um, What kind of popular brands uh, so that they know what might work for them.
3: Yeah. So, you know, we, our brand design process is, um, is, is, um, very thoughtful. We're basically looking at um, lots of different data to know what's performing well in which markets, at what time of day. We're looking at consumer trends and behavior of what's being searched for, what's popular on you know the coast or internationally. That's going to be moving uh, you know inland, <laughs> as most trends do, and um, and and really moving faster than ever. We're able to um, to design a brand, test it um and launch it nationally across a a network of distributed mom-and-pop businesses in a very short amount of time like overnight we've launched 100 restaurants before because um, we're basically finding different fulfillment partners in each market and each city and we're looking at you know what is executable what is going to have a great delivery experience um, what are consumers excited about there's all this information that goes into that process and if you think about um, a regular restaurant, when they had to take their menu and adopt it for online, it's very difficult because many restaurants were not designed for a delivery experience um, unless you were lucky enough to be a a Chipotle or a Wingstop. Um, Many many sit-down restaurants or or, uh, higher-end restaurants, their menus were never meant to be (laughs) uh, used in an off-premise situation. If you think about a steakhouse or you know any any sort of sit down restaurant. A good example of that is like um, French fries don't hold up very well. Breakfast milkshakes. These are you know items that if you were to design a restaurant from scratch, you wouldn't. Uh, uh, if you were to design a delivery only restaurant from scratch, you probably would leave these items off of off of the menu. Um, but that's what consumers are expecting when you go online. But what what we have a chance to do is design. With a delivery first mindset. We're thinking first about the arrival experience, which means instead of putting French fries on the menu for, for one of our burger concepts, we can do tater tots instead. Which, you know, even if they're sitting in a car for an hour um, and they don't arrive hot, they'll still at least be crispy. <laughs> um, so we we've really, you know, designed and optimized our menus for for an arrival experience, for a delivery-only experience. And we have everything from breakfast brands to celebrity concepts where we've partnered with um, amazing celebrities like Wiz Khalifa, um, George Lopez, several others that we'll be announcing uh, this year. But um, what we've done in in some of those situations is we've identified, for example, um, there's a gap in the market for stoner food. (laughs) Um, A lot of consumers, a desire to order food food when they're stoned or when they <laughs> when they want to um, you know do that and there's Taco Bell and all these uh, restaurants out there that are out there but we we for for the first time ever designed an entire restaurant called Hot Box by Wiz Khalifa which is basically you know a stoner's dream it's like fried mac and cheese bites coated in hot Cheeto dust and you know crazy menu items that are that are very fun for uh, for a stoner crowd. And we partnered with Wiz Khalifa so that he can market this brand to his 35 million Instagram followers. Um, He's promoting it constantly to to his audience and people are going nuts for this brand on college campuses and major cities. And, and we basically are going to these restaurants and enabling them to be a fulfillment partner for Hotbox by Wiz Khalifa. A mom and pop business normally would not be able to, you know, do a partnership with Wiz Khalifa, but we're brokering that deal for them because we've already gone out and created this menu. Um, it's really executable and easy, and now we can offer it to any restaurant that wants to take this on. We've got a cafe in Pittsburgh, which is Wiz's hometown, um, doing over a hundred orders a day on this new concept, which is more volume than they're doing on their in their own business, um, just on this on this virtual menu that only exists online because people in that in that area just absolutely go crazy for this food. Um, yes. They're constantly ordering it. And um, and it's it's this whole new possibility that that never existed before these apps happened.
2: Thank you. That's what I wanted you to point out—that you've got some uniqueness here with types of food and brands and connections that an independent would otherwise not be able to connect to. And and uh, for the forty-five percent that Next Bite is taking from the revenue, uh, George Lopez Tacos, which is an already established brand, and these others that you mentioned, whatever royalty or uh, payment that they need, is it coming out of the Next Bite portion, or is yes. that a- okay? So that's very good to know. Yes.
3: Excellent. Yeah. And and that that 45 percent, you know, I mentioned 55 percent of the gross sales goes to the restaurant and then 45 percent is split between the last mile delivery companies, Uber Eats, Storedash, Grubhub, whoever it's being sold through, um, the celebrity that's marketing it. And um, and then we retain the the remainder of that, of which we then spend on marketing and promoting these, these concepts. So. Um, it's you know it's really all the restaurant has to do is make food and they're getting paid on each order for that
1: so if I'm hearing you um, correctly the food that you're um, promoting through this is is going to be fairly um, low food cost and and fairly easy to put together uh, you know in re- in regard to the labor challenges that are going on right now um, am I am I getting it?
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, you know, we we've designed these menus with that in mind. We're not picking things that have super high food costs. We're not picking items that are really hard to execute. Like, you will never see an bite menu that has octopus sous vide on it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's very straightforward, easy to execute items that um, that any restaurant can easily be trained to 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 reproduce. Um and and of course food costs is is a is a really hard thing right now for restaurants. Um, one one example of that is our we have a, a wings concept called Firebelly Wings that you know had a lot of success last year. Um but now that wing prices are through the roof you know, a lot of our operators are struggling to see, see the same kind of profitability that they were when the cost of, of wings were a lot lower. So we've introduced boneless wings and a couple of other options onto that menu. In the meantime, um, to, to really help our operators maintain the right levels of food costs.
2: Yeah, because labor, right next to the cost of goods, people are going to be concerned with labor. And I think you made a very good point earlier that I'd like you to talk a little bit more about. And that's that these brands are really meant to work within the confines of how you currently operate. So you don't have to hire additional supervision, additional prep or additional cooking. That's,
3: yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. So, so you know, our and what's really interesting is most restaurants have a time of the day that's busier, and then maybe a day part that's a lot slower. Picture like um, maybe a coffee shop. Um, so if you're a coffee shop, you might have a big rush in the morning, you know when people are on their way to work. But maybe for lunch and dinner, it's it's quite slow um, or you know a slow trickle of foot traffic coming in. Um, but there's a chance for that coffee shop to now light up their kitchen and do you know chicken sandwiches and salads for lunch and then maybe a totally different brands for dinner as well. And even late night, if they want to stay open that late, um, vice versa, we have restaurants that don't even open until dinner time that are now keeping one, one member of their staff there yeah. during lunch for us so that they can also now have a, a lunch day part for delivery only. So there, there's, there's ways to optimize just certain times of the day, um, let alone, you know, having it run through the through uh the entirety of, of your shift and if you're a restaurant that's very busy for sunday brunch from 11 a.m to 1 p.m you can actually omit those hours and turn them off from grubhub doordash or breeds for your virtual brand so that you're selling food all other times of every day except those two hours and that could be something that's built into the process
2: well, I was just going to point out that. And, you know, the other thing I wanted to underline, too, is when I was reviewing the amount of brands, which are extensive and, and cover most all of the uh, casual and comfort food that I think people would be interested in, it didn't sound like it would be taxing to any kitchens. It's, it looks to me like if the listeners out there have a small kitchen now that operates pretty well, they can grill, broil, bake, fry, and they could pretty well, uh, you know, select or be vetted or one or more
3: than one of these brands there's kind of something for everyone at this point like we have different you know we have some restaurants that are just doing breakfast burritos because they want a couple more orders in the morning you know
1: you know to that point um you know you would you would think with uh, some of these type menu items uh the the kitchens would be mostly oriented around casual fast casual concepts but as you're describing this, I'm thinking that just about any restaurant once gets involved with this, even if they're they're full, even if they're a full service, maybe slightly upscale concept, they can still do this. But is that the case, Alex? Um, are the concepts that you're working with are they uh, across the scale or mostly on you know uh, casual, fast casual?
3: Um, they are, we are seeing restaurants of all shapes and sizes embracing this new offering. Everything from fine dining and steakhouses to fast food restaurants, franchisees of, of large chains that are saying, I've got a slow kitchen and I want more orders. So, you know, the, the, the only, the only restaurant and restaurants in my mind that would not be a good fit for this would be like In-N-Out Burger or Chick-fil-A, where there's a line out the door from the moment they open to the moment that they close. They are at full capacity. Like they have no, no room in their kitchen to, to make more food. They are they are as busy as can be. And so that would be a horrible fit for, for this, for this business, but for anyone else, basically there might be a day of the week or a part of the day that they can be turning this on. And even, you know, we, we always uh, we joke around how even Chick-fil-A could do virtual brands on a Sunday because, <laughs> uh, you know, their kitchens are just sitting there doing nothing. So.
2: Yeah, well, I'm sure there might be some pushback from established <laughs> <Yes>. national <laughs> brands allowing their company stores and franchisees to also run, you know, a virtual brand out the back door. But, you know, Alex, you make a good point. I'm thinking now of, of say, fine dining, expensive Formal service, steakhouses, wine list guys. Why wouldn't they also want to have a really good burger brand or sandwich? Oh, yeah, I mean that they run out the back.
3: Steakhouses specifically, like their menus are really not designed for delivery, and and nothing that they put on their menu was ever meant to be, you know, meant to be eaten uh, off premises. Meant to be eaten right away. You know, served medium rare, and <laughs> and so. You know, there's a chance and we're we're seeing several high end restaurants, Michelin restaurants in New York that are signing up for for our brand because they want to sell chicken sandwiches on delivery. They just, you know, and maybe they've tried to do their own brand before, but they have no idea how to market it um, properly on on these different apps because it's just not their specialty. And we've 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 got that iteration and and practice down because we've launched thousands of virtual restaurants at this point. So we know all of the best practices of how to optimize and set up these brands for success in an online world. And, and we encourage our restaurants to try to, to launch their own brands themselves. They can, they can use our technology to do not only next bite virtual restaurants, but their own virtual restaurants as well. And we, we encourage that, but um, we, we've just found that, you know, we, we really have invested heavily in the success of, of, of these, uh, these concepts that we've, we've brought to life and brought to market. And we have the, uh, the, the, the kind of proven track record that, you know, you can open this restaurant and expect at least X amount of orders. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a whole built-in turn process though. So.
0: Our sponsor, Touch Bistro, powers thousands of restaurants with its all-in-one POS and restaurant management platform. Beyond its exceptionally easy to use point of sale, Touch Bistro provides best-in-class customer engagement products for online ordering, loyalty, email marketing, and gift cards. Whether you're focused on restaurant operations or keeping customers coming back for more, Touch Bistro can help. And now, back to Chris and Barry.
1: What about operators who have a, a menu item that they would like to expand through virtual uh, marketing through your, your program. Uh, they have an empanada that they just think is really great, and they think that it would work well in certain markets. Um, do you have many uh, restaurants or operators who who want to leverage NextBite to expand something they have and get a piece of of the action?
3: Yeah, we we actually get that more often than you'd think. You know, we have many restaurants that are approaching us saying, "Can you take my?" my menu and and put it in the back of other people's kitchens and and how can we refine this and add this to the next by portfolio and we're starting to do that a bit we just announced um you know one of our first licensing partnerships with um witchcraft in new york um tom colicchio's restaurant um so we're now going to be able to offer witchcraft um in a delivery we'll be able to spread the delivery only footprint of witchcraft by partnering with restaurants across the country to um to to basically bring to life this brand only available on delivery apps there will be no physical storefronts in in these other markets to walk into but you will be able to open up uber Eats, store dash Grubhub, order from this brand and the food might be prepared out of your local uh sports bar and grill or <laughs> whoever uh whoever the fulfillment partner is in that territory
1: so what types of menu items what types of uh products. Um, do you see this whole realm heading into anything that, that is uh, uh, out of the ordinary from what we consider to be these type of virtual brands that you're talking about, the grilled cheese, the burgers, but um, anything that um, uh, would be a little bit unique and unusual in, in terms of what I might be able to order right now by uh, by picking up my phone and, and ordering an, off uh, an order app?
3: Yeah, well, you know, the things that were very popular on delivery 10, 15 years ago are still what's 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 driving forward now. It's still pizza, Chinese food. Um, obviously it's expanded to uh to lots of different types of, of cuisines and restaurants. Um international cuisine is, is is growing in popularity from Indian food to tacos to all, all of this stuff. But I think what's really interesting right now is like the spread of information is happening faster than ever. Uh, things like TikTok um, are making more people aware of of food trends and and you know different things that are happening in food a lot faster. So it, it's it's you know like five years ago, most um, college kids may not even know what boba is, and now it's so universally popular because it's it's everywhere. It's in sure. you know, it's it's on these these apps that are that are everywhere. So people want to try it; they're exposed to it. So uh, a, a boba restaurant opening up in the suburbs of Indianapolis, you know, may not have performed well uh, ten years ago, but today it might be the most popular thing for delivery um, on on these platforms. If that's what what people are interested in that area, and it could be, you know, from a TikTok video, it could be a number of different things that that create that consumer demand. But it's allowing things to spread so much faster. And, um and and i think there are some some really interesting categories that are growing from healthier food you know people are generally looking for healthier options now um, breakfast is is growing like wildfire on delivery right now that that used to be something that people did at home now it's like i think people are getting more and more used to the convenience of these delivery apps and and it's it's every part of the day that's that's being leaned on i think um i forget the exact stat but I think the breakfast category grew 400% on delivery in one year, just to give you an example. So um, no surprise. It's,
2: it's, that's, that's incredible.
3: Yeah, there's there's a lot of change happening. And, and I think um, people are expecting, you know, access to nearly all types of cuisines now at this point. Because when you open up Uber Eats in, in a place like Los Angeles, there might be a thousand restaurants to choose from now. So yes. it's getting, you know, it's getting very competitive. Um, it, it's not just a matter of being on these platforms anymore. It's like the marketing strategy behind it and how do you drive repeat purchase behavior. All, all of the things that, that matter in your restaurant now matter outside of your restaurant too.
2: Good point. Uh, to, the, to your point on menuing, it's it's good for people to know that, that the customer demand is really driving that variety. So um, whatever main concept the listeners have right now, they need to take a look at how they could bring in an interesting concept because uh, consumer behavior is taking us away from just wanting what we wanted years ago. I mean, it might still start with pizza and having Chinese food, but, but everyone is, is expecting a greater variety. Um, And a higher level of quality, Um, but yet they still want the convenience of having it delivered. So um, those trends that you mentioned, uh, Alex, I think are right on target. And what may start in the more, oh, say, uh, worldly food uh, cities of West Coast, East Coast, Chicago, et cetera, have already impact all through the Midwest and smaller towns in the South and Missouri. And so, you know, people are, are wondering, of course I can get Korean barbecue delivered, why not? And so we are, we're gonna have to work to keep up. But that brings me to one other point I would love to have you comment on. And that's that <clears throat> along with the convenience and expectation of better food, um, comes the need for enhanced packaging Um, and food safety, handling and sanitation, I think, is a concern to a lot of people that are, you know, living a lot now on having food delivered. Uh, How are your brands speaking to that? Is is there particular packaging that you prefer over than others? Um, Is there any teaching or education that you provide in that area to the to the people who will manage these brands?
3: Yeah, pa- you know, packaging is a is a, a very frustrating um, area area to discuss because it still has not made as much progress as as you would think. Um, there's a, been a lot of innovation in in restaurants in the last couple of years, but it feels like um, a lot of the packaging is still very old school. That you still see a lot of, um, obviously not in California anymore, but you still see a lot of styrofoam and um, things that you know, are, are are really old school and, and not you know keeping the food to, to, to the best that it can be. I think people are starting to get more creative with like poking holes in the bag of fry, of the bags of fried food and and trying to uh, optimize for, for the for the arrival experience. But I always encourage this is something that I did with cantors, but I always encourage restaurants to actually pack up five to ten items at a time on your menu as if it were going out for a delivery order, drive around the block for 20 minutes, open it up, test temperatures, make sure that the things are supposed to be hot or hot, the things are supposed to be cold or cold, make sure that things that are normally crispy are staying crispy. And if they're not, you should absolutely reconsider the packaging, test different options. Sometimes like you gotta wrap something in foil and then put it in a bag. Sometimes you don't like it's, you know, it's really um, gotta be a hands-on experience to optimize that. And it is very manual to, to go through that process, especially if you have a large menu like we do at Cantor's. We have 200 plus items, so um, it, that that was um, you know a very long experience to, to go through that. Um, but I think I think there there are some companies out there that that I'm starting to see you know think about delivery specific packaging. I know Denny's and some of the larger chains have, have made significant investments in in. Uh, You know, innovating on that side, Pizza Hut and and their partnership with Zoom um, doing really, you know, optimized packaging to to keep the the full intention of the food the way that it's supposed to go. But especially on the the mom and pop side, I haven't seen enough innovation. And um, this is a call to action. If you're a packaging company, please do better.
1: (laughs) And there's the environmental issues, too. I think I think people are thinking about that um, in terms of. You know, non-reusable plastics and things like that. Um, I don't know if that.
3: Uh, oh yeah, th- and th- and that reminds me. Like one one thing that we you know talk about a lot and and, and practice with our next bite concepts is is um in, in the thoughtfulness of the arrival experience. We have we have reconsidered the way that food normally arrives. Like with our George Lopez tacos concept. Um, we realized if you assemble the taco with the salsa and everything that goes on it and send it out for delivery, by the time it gets to the consumer, it's going to be soggy and the, you know, the ingredients won't be as crunchy as we want them to be. The, the meat won't stay as hot. But if we, if we send uh, each item of the taco in, in an unassembled kit where the customer receives a stack of tortillas Um, a package of meat the salsas on the side they can actually make it at home and it it's it's a much fresher experience that way so we we've designed our George Lopez tacos concept with with that uh, kind of build your own kit which is a fun experiential dining uh, for 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 family or people who want to do that themselves but it it, it is to for, for like the primary reason for that is is the intention of the food. So, so there are ways to get creative with sending things deconstructed or you know, in separate containers. I've seen some really um, some really clever um, innovations on that side with like Sugarfish, what they do in LA. I don't know if you've ever seen their box that they send out, but um, they tell you like which, uh, they, they send like all the different sauces on the side of like, they put a lemon on the side, the, um, uh, soy sauce and ponzu sauce. And, and in the box, it tells you which sauces go on, which pieces of fish, rather than doing it for you, where it's not gonna have that really good experience when it arrives, you get to do it yourself, which is interactive, it's, it's an unboxing experience, it's a lot of fun, and it keeps the intention of the food better. So that's, that's, that's like, a, in my mind, one of the most innovative groups out there doing uh, interesting stuff with packaging.
2: And that's a good recommendation for listeners to make note of, you know, I think that as they want to move more into carrying a virtual brand is to be aware of how they can utilize packaging to almost become a, um, um, a marketing direction. Um, I, I've known of some that will do that. They'll put cards in the packaging that welcomes people to their kitchen, um, little thank you notes that the employees sign. And then along with that are instructions to reheat and how long things might um work reheated and um, how to you know apply sauce and how much sauce so so there's ways I think of turning uh, what is now a tremendous challenge packaging into a way of educating um, and be environmentally correct and add a little marketing touch Uh, because I I wanted to ask you about that how you see people in this age now of technology and third-party delivery how are they touching the guest here how are they showing appreciation and doing uh, say marketing for repeat biz
3: yeah, it's really hard because when when customers come into your restaurant, you can simply walk up to them and ask questions, say how's how, was, how are your first bites go, you know, <laughs> really understand the front of house experience. But but that that gets lost in, in a delivery experience. So You have to get creative to find ways to, to not only gather feedback and engage with customers, but to delight them and and still you know surprise them with with ways to do that. So. Some strategies for that would be handwritten notes in the bag, um, a free dessert that, that comes in the bag regardless of whether they order dessert or not. Um, but most importantly, it's monitoring the uh the the reviews on your um on your DSP dashboard. So you have to the same way that you look at your Yelp reviews and comment and respond to them, you have to go through and manage your reviews online. Um, you have to read, you know, all of the, the the positive negative stuff that comes in from the Uber Eats dashboard, the Grubhub dashboard, the DoorDash dashboard. There's a lot of really important insight in there. Um, at Canners, we were noticing that whenever people were ordering, you know, a, an item on the menu that isn't very popular for us, but the Philly cheesesteak sandwich, they were reporting like a bad experience. It arrived cold. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't good. And so we we just removed it from the delivery menu cuz like it was consistently not an item that was holding up well and, and the only way we knew that is cuz we were paying attention like you know most people when they ordered this they rated it bad um, so so you have to you have to manage that and be on top of it because there's a lot of good feedback coming coming from from, from these reviews on these platforms and it's critically important because reviews are going to matter more and more over time so if you're consistently getting below four stars on, you know, on DoorDash, you're going to get buried in the app because that's not what consumers are looking for. So you you have to you pay attention to this stuff and make sure you're delivering high quality experiences. And sometimes that means altering your menu and making those those tough changes because you want to focus on the items that are performing well that people are you know excited to reorder. And um, and and so monitoring that is really important. And, um, and we've seen, you know, taking it one step further, putting QR codes on the bag and tell us how we did. You know, was there a problem with your order? Um, when people post about your food on social media, good or bad, you know, you have a chance to engage and message that customer saying, how was it? Is there anything we could have done better? You know, it just whatever it is, like take that extra step if you can.
2: Well, that sounds wonderful. That sounds like a, a the next bite is is something for everybody right now. Uh, that's what it sounds like to me. Every uh, independent operator has an existing concept has a kitchen, but also has the need to be able to um, uh, enhance revenue. And if they can do that in a way where they're using same people, same equipment um, and broadening their guests, and they can do it with a very low degree of difficulty, which I'm learning today uh, seems to be the case, then it's something that is that is um, a big need right now and i think what
1: is it is it, 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 i'm it's exciting on a lot of different levels um you have a young ceo comes out of a real restaurant background not just somebody who has mastered the technology and wants to leverage for the restaurant business but who understands the heart and soul of the business and i think that's uh, um i think today think it's important i, I think that would inform a lot of your decisions, Alex. Uh, um, I know all, you, you're looking at bringing the old school ways forward, but um, still, I got to imagine um, you picked up a few things about uh, how, how to create a good guest experience and and, and run a good restaurant um, just based on your family background.
3: Thank you. Yeah, and and you know, our our the way that we built this business model is that our success is fully based on the restaurant success so if the restaurant isn't making money we're not making money and and we love being tied in the, in that way because a lot of company restaurant tech companies out there they're charging restaurants monthly fee or subs- subscription service whether the restaurant's benefiting or not um, and and you know this is a completely different approach we're going to restaurants and can we pay you to make food for us and um, fundamentally it's a very different approach and, and i think that's why we've been so successful is because it's up to us to actually execute on what we're what we're promising here to the restaurants, which is to drive extra orders into their kitchens, and that's how we define our success. It's how we measure our success. And um, this year, we'll drive millions of extra orders into underutilized kitchens, and and that's a really exciting concept for us.
2: We'll continue to create uh, very interesting and much needed concepts for the independent, and continue to support the independence in ways that can they can help maximize their efficiency and raise their revenue. Thank you so much. Alex, I think we're gonna to have to wrap up now. We're just about at the end of our program.
3: Thank you guys so much for having me again. And uh, you know, if you wanna reach us, you can uh, just go to nextbite.io um, or find us on social media. And uh, please reach out if you're a restaurant that's looking to, uh, to sell more food and, uh, and crank out more delivery volume.
2: Thank you so much. Everybody check out next bite. It's it's for you. And it's for right now, Alex. Thanks again. And everyone, hopefully we'll connect really soon on another corner booth.
3: Thanks.
0: We'd like to thank touch bistro for sponsoring this episode. Touch bistro provides an all in one POS and restaurant management platform for venues of all sizes from food trucks to fine dining, Go to touchbistro.com to find out how Touch Bistro can solve your restaurant technology challenges today. Thank you for joining us on The Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.